Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malkanji. say about generational curses. The topic of generational curses has become a very popular topic in recent times and has really taken over mainstream teaching in a lot of ministries that have global platforms, massive platforms. And uh, there's much talk, much talk and much, um, how do I say it? There's much talk and much thrill around this topic at this present time. A lot of people are uh, curious to hear about what the Bible says about generational curses. A lot of people are uh, peeking in in curiosity. Uh, and so I wanted to bring some clarity as to what the word, the word itself speaks on when it, with reference to curses and particularly what people have been uh, diving into recently, generational curses. I want to start off by reading Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 6. The Bible says, As you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, doctrinally, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to the doctrine of Christ not according to the doctrine of Christ. Let me read that in the New Living Translation. New Living Translation, Colossians 2.8, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ or from the doctrine of Christ. And so I've always made it my aim from this YouTube in this YouTube channel to present people with the unadulterated, unperverted, untwisted word of God, void of the opinions of men, void of tradi traditional experiences, void of the trendiness of certain topics that may have come up. I've always approached this broadcast with the heart that the word of God, with the idea, with the, the, the priority of making the word of God the platform upon which we build any doctrine, the Word of God being the litmus test to pass any traditional thought or worldly principle through, the Word of God, I've always said that the Word of God is the standard for our believing and the standard for our Christian practice, how we walk, how we think, our ways, anything that doesn't line up with the word, I don't want to have anything to do with. I don't want to uh, entertain. I'll call it out. And we'll call it out biblically. We want to be biblically aligned. We don't want to just come up with things because they sound nice or it's popular. Popularity is not a sign 
that that doctrine is biblically true. The nature of absolute truth and proper interpretation of Scripture cannot be determined by the number of people that subscribe to that thing but or, or who embrace the teaching, but it must be determined by a correct understanding of Scripture. And so I want to get in that right now. What does the Bible say about generational curses? That's what I want to address today, biblically. Let's dive into the scriptures and discover biblically what the Bible has to say about the subject matter. Let's get in it. First of all, what does, because you, let's backtrack. Let's backtrack. Colossians 2 says, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Colossians 2 says, we are not to be cheated through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world and not according to Christ. Paul's essentially stating, we can't walk out our Christian living based on what the world is saying, based on what tradition has dictated in the past, but we have to get to what the word of God says. He says, as you've received Christ the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, in the doctrine of the word of God. And so we have to pass through, just like Paul said, whatever is true, dwell on these things. We have to pass through this subject, uh, through the, the, the litmus test of scripture, this subject of generational curses. We can't just accept things. You know, the Bereans were more noble-minded than those that were at Thessalonica because they took what Paul said, but they examined the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So first of all, before we get into whether generational curses are true or biblical or whatnot, let's identify what does the generational curse doctrine teach and preach to its adherents. Number one, they teach that curses can be passed down from one generation to another due to past rebellion committed by some family member in their ancestry lineage. If divorce, poverty, anger, murder, obesity, or any other type of ungodly pattern is visibly affecting the next generation, they teach that it is because of a curse that needs to be broken that came on because of the wickedness of a past relative and ancestor. And the scriptures that are oftentimes used, and let's dive into it now, the scriptures that are oftentimes used to support these claims is Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 and 6. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, Numbers 14, 18, Deuteronomy 5, 9 and 10. But let's read the first one, Exodus 20, verse 4 and 5. You shall not make yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father's upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Every one of these scriptures I just listed, Exodus 20, Exodus 34, Numbers 14, Deuteronomy 5, each of them contain the phrase, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the first, third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, oftentimes that last part is left out. 
we just hear that God will visit the iniquity and sins of the third and fourth generation. The iniquities and sins of our fathers, our ancestry, to the third and fourth generation. But the verse goes on to say, of those who hate me. And we're going to get into that further on in this broadcast because there needs to be correction to that. Those that teach on generational curses point out that what one man does in his lifetime, unrepentant, that the consequences because of the guilt that that man carries is passed down transgenerationally through the bloodline to further generations. Regardless of, uh, regardless of whether the, further, the, the future generations have turned to Christ or not, there is through the bloodline not only that sin was passed down through the bloodline in that we all carry original sin and we all fell short of the glory of God, but that the punishment and consequences for particular sins and the consequences that came on board because of the guilt of those sins was also passed through the bloodline. And those that teach on generational curses point out that there are additional steps required beyond repentance and submission to God and faith in His Word for one to be free from such curses they point out that a person's guilt can be genetically passed down through the bloodline to all of their descendants so not only do men inherit the sin nature through the blood but men are also condemned by the accumulated guilt of their ancestry evangelist tiff shuttlesworth in speaking on what the bible says about generational curses he in his study of the generational curse crowd, came to the conclusion that the generational curse teaching requires people to list the sins of previous generations, to repent of those sins, renounce those sins, and pray special prayers to break the curses that may cling to them because of their ancestors' sin. God not only views the one who committed the sin guilty, but one born of the same lineage is also at risk of carrying that guilty verdict and as such is susceptible to the same level of consequences unless one goes through a session where these generational curses are broken. They teach that Satan has a level of legal claim to anyone who has not sufficiently dealt with these generational curses by listing them by name and repenting for the sins of their father. They teach a Jesus plus type of theology, which is heretical. They teach that Jesus' blood was sufficient to atone for your sins, but additional steps are required in order to remove the guilt of the sins of our fathers that was imposed on us without us having, uh, having done any good or any evil. We were just born. I heard one preacher say it this way, that though Jesus broke the power of the curse, that the presence of the curse is still there and must be dealt with. Hogwash. He not only broke the power of the curse, but the very presence of the curse leaves when the power of the curse is broken. We're going to get into that. So how are generational curses broken according to this teaching? Generational curses are broken after entering into an elaborate ceremony of listing out the sins of one's ancestry up to four generations. 
Think of how long that list would actually be if we were to list every sin that our ancestors did up to four generations. That's going back 300 years. Imagine listing every sin you committed before coming to Christ. You'd have a pretty fat notebook. Imagine doing that for everyone in your family line for four generations. But that's what they teach. And it's followed by reciting certain recommended prayers and rites and declarations that are aimed at breaking very specific curses that may still be lingering even after your conversion to Christ. There's oftentimes a step-by-step -step program and procedure that adherents are encouraged to engage with and even diagnostic tests and checklists that can help one identify specific sins that they may never have committed, but the consequence of those things may be present in their life, and so the guilt of it can be identified, or the, 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 the presence of a curse given through the guilt of that sin that your ancestor has committed can be identified by going through this checklist. There are exact these are exact words from a ministry website that teaches on generational curses. Listen to this. This is their procedure that they um, give as a sort of, not just a diagnosis, but a, a, a prognosis, the cure, the, the treatment for the ailment. This is what they recommend. Make a detailed list of all the sins of your family members as far as four generations back. Make a detailed list of all. First of all, how the heck am I supposed to know what my great, 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 great grandfather did? My father doesn't even know who he was. Mike, uh, how am I supposed to go back in time and find out what he did in the secret place of his own bedroom? How am I supposed to know what actions he took privately that maybe nobody else even knew? How am I supposed to discern those things? But here they recommend that you make a detailed list of all the sins of your family members as far as four generations back. And if family members continue to sin in the present, their sins also should be confessed by you daily. So not only do I have to go and assume the burden and load of going back four generations and listing out de in detailed fashion everything that my ancestry may have committed wrongly and sinfully before God, I actually have to take a, I have to take a, a, a inventory of what's being done around me on a daily basis, and I should be confessing the sins of those around me on a daily basis. It's important. This he goes on to say it's important to be repentant on behalf of your family. It's not in the Bible. After you have confessed all sins on each list, renounce any claims of Satan upon your life in the name of Jesus Christ. Say it like this. He goes on to say, I ask for forgiveness of this sin for myself and for any family members on both sides of my bloodline going back to four generations. Please forgive me, Father, so that I may be loosed from the bondages of Satan that have placed, been placed on me because of their sin. So all of that is a nutshell summary of what the gen generational curse camp teaches. In summary, generational curses are, is the guilt and consequence of one man's sin passed down generationally to other family members, regardless of if they've committed anything or not. 
and additional steps beyond salvation are required to address those curses specifically in detailed fashion so as to come into the actual freedom, into a full freedom. That there's Christians that have a level of freedom, but they still carry generational curses. And only those that have gone through the process and procedure listed out in the many books that have been written on these things, that have made many much money, only they, only they can actually attain to the full freedom that Jesus said you can have. They teach that Satan has a level of legal claim, legal claim over even a blood-washed Christian as long as they do not address the issue of a generational curse that they may have. So now I'm going to go through, how many points do I have? I have four points that debunk the generational curse myth. Four points that debunk the generational curse myth. Number one, we're going to read this from the Bible. Because remember what I just read. He visits the iniquities of the fathers to the third and fourth generation who hate him. Let's not forget that. Of those who hate him. Exodus 20, verse 5, the end of a verse. I visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the fourth and third and fourth generation of those who hate me. If they hate him, does that sound like someone who's gone through repentance? Does that sound like someone who has turned to God in faith and humility and submitting to his word, keeping his commandments? No, we're talking about people who have learned behaviors from their fathers and from people perhaps in their genealogy and have never made course correction. So in the sense, if someone... In, in, with respect to that verse, if someone learns a behavior, a sinful behavior from the fathers, from a grandparent, whatever, alcoholism, and that person engages in alcohol drinking and consumption and does not repent and does not turn away, but carries out the same actions, then yes, that person will have the same consequences that their ancestry had because the cycle of sin hasn't been broken but the moment the cycle of sin is broken, then God is not visiting that iniquity any longer. And we're going to get into that. Let me not get ahead of myself. Ezekiel chapter 18. Let's read this. Ezekiel chapter 18. And I went hard on this this morning, as you can see in my Bible. Because I heard a minister say, quoting this, in defense of his position, believing in generational curses, this is what he said. Ezekiel 18 and verse 2 says, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And he says, you see, the Bible, God himself even said that the fathers have eaten the sour grapes and the children's teeth are rotting. What is he saying? The f there was a proverb, there was a rumor circulating all of Israel and they were saying, our fathers, our ancestors ate the candy and the children's teeth are now rotten. They're saying, you see, the actions of our fathers can absolutely determine, can absolutely determine the consequences or the reality that we suffer because of this generational curse that has passed down. 
But let's actually read Ezekiel 18. Very, very dangerous to take a scripture, a little tiny portion of scripture, and build a doctrine on of it out of it. Scripture interprets scripture. And it's a good law of studying scriptures, hermeneutics, when you actually read the entirety of the chapter at least. Better is yet is even several chapters to find the context. Because you know what? If we just pull scriptures and make our own doctrine theology, then I could say, and Judas went and hung himself. And Jesus said, what, I, what, what he did, I tell you, do to, uh, you should do also. What this person has done, you should do also. So let's take Judas hung himself, and what, you have, what he has done, you should do also. Well, now we have a theology now that we should go and hang ourselves. You see the problem, the fallacy in approaching the scripture and the study of scriptures in that fashion? Very dangerous. So let's read and study the entirety of the book, or the chapter of Ezekiel uh, 18, chapter 18. So what do you mean? The word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? Verse 3, as I say, as I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. He rebukes them for talking that way. Verse 4, behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine, and it's the soul who sins that will die. But if a man, listen to this, man. This is, this is really going to clear up bad theology for you. If a man is just and does what is lawful and right, if he is not eaten on the mountains and nor has he lifted his eyes to idols of the house of Israel, he has not defiled his neighbor's wife nor approached a woman during her impurity. He has not oppressed anyone. He has restored to his debtor his pledge. He has robbed no one by violence and has given his bread to the hungry. He has covered the naked with clothing. If he has not exacted usury nor has he taken any increase but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity and executed true judgment between man and woman, uh, be, between man and man if he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully that man is just and righteous he will surely live says the Lord God but if he does beget a son who is a robber or a shedder of blood or who does does any of these things if he has done any of these abominations he will surely die and his blood will be upon him but if however he begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done. Remember, generational curses, according to that camp and that line of thinking, come upon people because of the sins of their fathers passed down. The consequence, guilt, and the sin of the father, the penalty is passed down to successive generations regardless of their actions that must be dealt with as an issue separate from them coming to Christ. So you coming to Christ means absolutely nothing. It's just step number one. There's a second step subsequent to salvation whereby we have to enter into some sort of deliverance from these curses. We have to address them and we have to repent and confess these sins as if we ourselves had committed them. But the Bible says, if however he begets a son who has seen the sins of his father, and considers but does not do likewise. See how everyone's popping off. They don't like this. I know the people, I know a lot of people that follow me. I know a lot of, I know, I know. I'm not stupid. I know what preaching you're, a lot of people are exposed to. 
And I, I, I know the teaching that's circulating YouTube right now. I know it. I know the books that are being published. I know it. But at the end of the day, I don't care about experience. I care about doctrine. And if your doctrine violates experience, then your doctrine is wrong. It's wrong. I've heard people say a man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with a doctrine. Bull. Because I've heard people experience all kinds of demonic things. New Age has an experience. You're going to say that because he experienced something that his doctrine's correct? Witchcraft carries an experience. But it's in total violation of the teachings of Scripture. So we can't just take experience. Well, I used to believe that generational curse stuff was not good until, you know, I got delivered from a generational curse. What do you, what do you mean? That's like saying, well, I used to be salvation was genuine and people got saved, but then I got, I backslid. So I don't know of this salvation stuff. Just because your experience is different from what you've seen in the Bible does not mean the Bible's wrong and you're right. Think of the pride. Think of the pride. I want to get to scripture. I want to stay close to scripture. And I know all these people, well, these people can talk like that because they don't do deliverance. These people talk like that because they don't, they don't cast out devils. They don't break generational curses. They don't help people. Okay, come to my meeting, see who gets help. Come to my meeting, see who gets help. See the deaf ears that open. See the blind eyes that open. Come to my meeting. And I'm not trying to talk like a prideful person. I'm just saying, don't lace accusations on people that think differently because of their study of the word. And don't start saying, oh, they, they, you know, they don't cast out demons. They never deliver people. They don't help people. Okay, come to my meetings. Come to my crusades. Because I don't just do crusades in little churches that everyone knows how to do the charismatic Pentecostal dance. I do crusades in the inner city where people have never stepped foot in church. And I see demons come out of people. And I've seen people get set free and saved and repenting before God. Receiving Christ into their heart. And if it sounds like pride to you, you're free to X out this broadcast and never come back. It's not pride. It's I have an irritation now because I see more people bound by the line of thinking that they're carrying a generational curse and they, they have a demon in them or whatever. I've seen more people bound by that in this vicious cycle of frustration going from demon to demon to deliverance to deliverance. When the Bible makes it very clear, when Jesus said in John 8, 32, whoever has my word in his heart and continues therein, he shall be free and whom the Son sets free is free and totally free indeed. And I've never met anybody coming to my meetings that believes in that line of thinking that is walking in victory, walking in freedom, walking in, in, in the dominion of Christ. They're all bound. The Bible says you shall know them by their fruit. If there's no fruit, then there's no, there's no truth to it. A true witness delivers souls. So go, moving back to generational curse. There's a proverb going around that the sins of the father will visit the sons. And God rebukes that garbage. He says, if however the son 
sees the sins his father has done, but considers and doesn't do likewise. Who has not eaten of the mountains. He's not lifted his eyes to idols. He has not defiled his neighbor's wife. He has executed my judgments and he's walked in my statutes. He will not die for the iniquity of his father. He will surely live. As for his father, because of he cruelly and oppressing the poor, robbing his brother by violence, he'll die for his iniquity. Then verse 19, get this, Exodus 18, 19. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? So they're asking. Because you understand, the book of Exodus, Moses is writing. The Pentateuch is a corrective document to, in, in a sense. Because Israel had stayed in Egypt for 430 years. They had adopted much of the paganistic cultures. And so Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, number, all of it was designed not only to bring a revelation of God, but to correct the paganistic mind that they may have adopted because of their time spent in Egypt. And paganistic cultures, even to this day, they have this mind that if you sin against the deity, that he'll strike you dead on the spot and then he'll kill your lineage and he'll strike down your lineage and your, the, uh, the rest of the family that proceeds from you. They had this idea that, that, uh, that God was just like the gods of Egypt. And so when Moses writes Exodus 20 and he talks about you shall have no other God besides me. And then he moves on into saying that I am a jealous God and I do visit the iniquities of the third and fourth generation for those who hate me. Meaning if the cycle of sin is not broken, guess what? You're going to reap the constant consequences of that sin. But then he moves on to say, but hey, I do show mercy and compassion to those that love me and keep my commandments. He was actually distinguishing himself from the paganistic gods of the Egyptian culture in stating that I am a merciful God. I am a compassionate God. And if you'll turn to me, I won't strike your relatives. I won't strike your genealogy down. I won't generationally visit you with evil or whatever like you've heard about in the Egyptian gods but I'll I'll bring a new lineage to you I'll bring a new uh, 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 heritage to your family hallelujah so Moses was correcting that and then you see it pop up again that same doctrine popping up again in Ezekiel's day because he's bringing another rebuke yet you say why should the son not bear the guilt of the father they were almost offended by it they were offended by it the correction Ezekiel was bringing that, hey, God's not going to visit with curses the son if the father's the one that committed the sin. He's not going to visit the son with the curse or with the guilt and punishment of his father's sins. And then they ask, why shouldn't they? Why shouldn't he? It's what we've always learned. And remember, Ezekiel, they're in Babylonian captivity again. So they're back in a paganistic culture. So no wonder that type of thinking is coming back. Understand, the whole notion of generational curses and... and, and uh, consequences and curses passed down through the lineage is actually a very paganistic uh, mindset. It's a very paganistic belief. And God corrects and he says, because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept my statutes and observed them, he will live. Verse 20, get this in your heart today. The soul whose sins shall die, the son shall not bear the guilt of his father, nor the father bear the guilt of his son. 
The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. I mean, I don't, if you don't believe what I just read, you don't believe the Bible. If after reading that, you still believe that there can be generational curses that come on you even after you got blood washed and born again in Christ Jesus, then you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with the Bible. If you still believe in generational curse teaching after reading that portion of scripture, you don't believe the Bible. You believe a man's book. You may be believing a, a man's experience, but I'm telling you, the book itself is very clear on this issue. Those who continue on teaching generational curses, whether they know it or not, they've actually denied the sufficiency of Scripture because Scripture is not quiet on this. It's very, very loud. Can't get more clear than that. The son will not bear the guilt of his father, nor the father bear the guilt of his son. The righteousness of the wicked will be upon the righteousness of the righteous will be on himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be on himself. So, number one, debunking the generational curse myth is God does not judge a person for his father's sin if indeed the successive generation ceases to act out the sinful behavior. Ezekiel 18, 1 through 20. Number two. There is not one example of Jesus breaking a generational curse over anybody. You don't read it anywhere. Matter of fact, in John chapter 9, you hear the disciples asking about a man who was born blind, saying, Did this, was the curse there at his birth? Was he born blind because of the sins of his father or his mother? Do you remember that story? And Jesus said, Neither their sins, but that the glory of God should be revealed. I'm going to work a miracle here in your midst. So they were even in danger of buying on to that generational curse stuff because they asked, why is this man blind? Is it because of his father or his mother's sin? He said, neither. You're wrong. It has nothing to do with their father and son. Why would their father and mother's sin have anything to do with the, how they live and how they, uh, the, the, their, their physical body, how it was made? Because he was born blind. Jesus said that the works of God should be revealed. What was the work of God? Jesus came to reverse the works of the devil, to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. So what was the original work of the devil? Original sin. So Jesus was in essence pinpointing the root cause of blindness was not his mother's sin, was not his father's sin. It was original sin that all men carry at birth and only the blood of Jesus can break the stronghold of that sin wash away the record of our past and make us right before God make us right before God which that's the that's the only thing needed to break free from any curse Furthermore, when Jesus sent an individual that he had healed away in John chapter 5 he told them go and sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you, indicating that repentance and faith towards God is sufficient power provided to break free from all oppression of the devil. There's not one record of Jesus doing any prayer against generational curses in the entire Gospels. There's not one record of Paul following suit. Going to Ephesus, and when he saw the people there, he realized that though they were saved, they still needed to break generational curses. And so he led them through a 17-step 
course manual that he wrote up that we still don't have our hands on. We don't have our hands on it because it never existed. There's nothing like that. You don't see Peter doing that. You don't see Philip going out of the city of Samaria and preaching Christ to the people. And after they got saved, he then led them into a generational curse-breaking session. You don't see that. And we're to be followers of them who through faith and patience obtain the promises of God. The blueprint of the book of Acts is the blueprint God has instituted and remains instituted to this day. And as I said before, anytime you get away from the Bible and break free beyond the boundaries of Scripture, you begin to have a Jesus plus mindset. That Jesus himself is not sufficient to carry out his deliverance in you through simply his death, burial, and resurrection at Calvary, but that there's some other work necessary for our freedom. Think of it. You know, Jesus never did deliverance uh, uh, of generational curse. He didn't do any prayers like that. Paul didn't do it. Peter didn't do it. Philip didn't do it. There's no mention of Apollos ever doing it anywhere he went. Also, if the generational curse teaching was true and that people did indeed carry the guilt, penalty, and consequences of their father's sin despite having repented uh, of their own, their own sin before God, why is it that Paul, in any of his epistles, never recommends any type of diagnostic system for this. Never has any, you know, if generational curses were truly a fundamental part of Christian, the Christian's liberty in Christ, there would at least be some sort of instructional base or foundation so that we can be delivered and then be we can also be as ministers more equipped to address it in others. Why isn't there any of it? All the prayers and recommended rituals and all that stuff are not found anywhere in the Bible. They're all extra biblical things that people have conceived by themselves. So number two, there's not one example of Jesus or the apostles breaking any type of generational curse over anybody. Number three, debunking the myth of generational curses. Generational curse... False doctrine denies the long-held, biblically established soteriology, doctrine of salvation. When you subscribe to the line of thinking that generational curses truly are a part of life, you deny the doctrine of salvation according to the Bible. What do I mean by that? Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. What happens at salvation? Very important to know because when you understand soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, what it cures when a man is born again, then you're going to understand that it is actually impossible for you to have a generational curse. Colossians 2 verse 14. Actually, let's start with verse 11. In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with Jesus through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. 
having wiped out this handwriting of requirements that was against us, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross, and disarmed principalities and powers. In a New Living Translation, it says, He canceled the record of charges that were against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Essentially, you are denying the complete work of Jesus on the cross when you hold to the fallacy of generational curses being a reality in certain individuals' lives. The Bible says he took the past, the handwriting of requirements, the certificate of debt, the record of our wrongdoings, all of our past criminal record that stood against us in the heavenly court system. Jesus nailed it to the cross and the Bible says he has taken it out of the way. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That signifies a complete work. Jesus on the cross, the very moment that that scripture was fulfilled was when he was on that cross and he let out that final cry, tetelestai, it is finished. It is finished. What is finished? The control, power, curse, and penalty of sin upon those that have received the finished work of salvation that was given to us by Christ Jesus, the control, curse, penalty, and consequence of sin is finished, done away with. Tetelestai is actually a, it is a, um, a financial term that they used to use, which signified that the man's debt is absolved. The man's debt is forgiven. The man's debt, he no longer has to pay that debt off. He no longer has to pay uh, to amend amend the to amend he no longer has to pay anything to amend himself the debt's been paid so when Jesus said he wiped out the requirements against us it's not I don't I don't care what my ancestry's done everything that has to do with my past Everything that has to do with my lineage, everything that was passed down transgenerationally, it stopped with me the moment that I came to Christ. The moment that I received the work, the finished work of the cross. All of that stopped. All of that ended. You know, listen to this. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who are troubling you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. I said before, and I'll say it again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than what you've received, let him be accursed. The whole book of Galatians, Paul is dealing with the Jesus plus gospel. It's another gospel. They were, there were teachers that had come in, false brethren, he says, that came in secretly by stealth to teach that um, faith in Christ alone is not sufficient to bring liberty, but that they must be circumcised. They have to go through some sort of procedure to finally seal the deal in their righteousness before God. Paul 
violently rebukes that and says a man is not justified by any works of any law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have believed so that we may be justified as well. Then he moves on in Galatians 5.1 and he says, so now that we understand that faith, you know, he goes on to say, did you receive liberty and miracles by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And you're so foolish, you began in the spirit. Are you now trying to be made perfect in the flesh? And that's what I said before. The whole generational curse line of thinking is a fleshly paganistic thing that has no biblical roots. It's something separate from the salvation of the cross that people use to appeal to their flesh, but has an appearance of wisdom, has an appearance of wisdom, but it absolutely does nothing. He says, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you. Did he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? It's the hearing of faith. Everything God wants to give you is going to come through hearing and faith. That's why he finishes off Galatians 5.1 that says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, and don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. What's the yoke of bondage he's talking about? The Jesus plus garbage. I've heard many people teach that Jesus' blood was good and it did atone for our sin and will make heaven. But there's an incompleteness to that message of repentance and faith before God because there are yet people that need deliverance from these generational curses. I've heard it. Oh, you, I believe in the blood of Jesus and that'll get you to heaven. But when it comes to generational curses, uh, the blood of Jesus only dealt with the curse of the law. It didn't deal with generational curses. First of all, the curse of the law, listen to this, I'm going to make this very easy for you. Gener Genesis chapter 3, God pronounces a curse upon mankind. That curse passed down, uh, the, the, the curse of original sin and what sin brings upon the human race has gone through the bloodline uh, until one turns to Christ. Genesis chapter 3 speaks about the, the original curse, the original fallen state of man. But when you move on into Deuteronomy 28, Moses, by the Spirit, unravels a pure description of what that curse, what that curse brings to a man. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15 through the end of the chapter, is an unraveling of what the original curse looks like. We call it the curse of the law, but in essence, it's, it is the, uh, the consequence of sin, the consequence of original sin. And Moses just goes into deeper detail on what that curse looks like. It's not just a hex. It's not just bad luck. There's specific things that detail what the curse looks like. Generational curses, the way they, because I've heard it said, we, don't, we, we believe Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law, but that there's generational curses that he hasn't redeemed us from that we have to do, we have to do certain things to break free from those things. The gener old generational curse notion, it, 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 none of the things that they call generational curses are outside of the boundaries of what is listed out in Deuteronomy 28, 15 through the end of the chapter. Deuteronomy 15 through 28, 15 through the end of the chapter is a description of every curse that exists. And it even says, even those curses that are not written in, the, in this book of the law, those things will come on you. So it literally is, is a chapter that describes the entirety of what it means to be cursed. Whether you want to call it generational 
curse of the law, whatever you want. The curse is outlined in Deuteronomy 28, 15 through the end of the chapter. So when people say Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, but not from generational curses, they don't know what they're talking about. Because the curse of the law is the outline of all curses. And Christ has redeemed us from all the curse of the law. But in this generational curse camp, there's this notion that there's additional steps required. Steps, further action must be taken if one is to be absolutely free. It's a Jesus plus gospel which Paul rebukes and he says, If anyone preaches to you another gospel... That is not the gospel which you heard from me, which salvation comes through the hearing of faith. Paul explains, what's the gospel? It's the hearing of faith that brought miracles, that brought deliverance, that brought salvation. Anyone that preaches to you a Jesus plus something else doctrine is in heresy. So I talked about number three, generational curse, false doctrine, denies the long-held, biblically established soteriology as found in the Bible. Well, what is soteriology? It is the doctrine of salvation. What are five things that happen to you at salvation? Here are five reasons why you can never carry a generational curse the moment you come to Christ. It doesn't exist. Number one, what happens when you're born again? You're forgiven of all records of wrongdoing. All record of wrongdoing you've been forgiven of. We just read that in Colossians 2. I'm going to read you another thing to reinforce that. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written on it, which no one knows except himself, except him who received it. I'll give him a white stone. Very important to understand that. In ancient times, the judicial system... Uh, was quite different from today. But one of the things they used to practice was that when a person was found innocent, there were two stones on the judge's desk. There was a black stone and there was a white stone. And when a person was found innocent, the judge would take the white stone and give it to the man found innocent, which would absolve him from any type of accusation that was against him. If he gave him a black stone, it meant he was guilty and that he had to he had to pay the time. He had to do the time for the crime. When Jesus said, I'm going to give him a white stone, he's saying, I'm declaring your innocency. I am declaring you are not guilty any longer. I'm declaring that you've been absolved of all debt. I am declaring that your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That God has pressed delete on heaven's computer database that stored every wrongdoing you ever committed. I'm giving you a white stone. I am setting you free from your past. The Bible says, I will bury your sins in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought back to memory again. So when one says that you have a generational curse because of the sins of your father and what, the, what your ancestry has committed and has not yet been pardoned, even though you've come to Christ, they are denying a fundamental doctrine and pillar of Scripture, which says that if your sins are red as crimson, I'll make them white as snow. I will make you clean. I will give you my righteousness. He that knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am not guilty for my sin any longer. I am not guilty for my parents' sin. I was never guilty for my parents' sin. We read that in Ezekiel chapter 18. He said that 
the son will not be guilty for the wickedness of the father, neither shall the father be guilty for the wickedness of the son, but the righteousness of the righteous will come upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall come upon himself. Number two, what happens at salvation? You're a new creation. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. Anything attached to your past is dead and done. Even your genealogy. I teach this all the time. I am not a Malkanji anymore. Maybe on my, on my license, it says Malkanji. Maybe on my, my home's uh, deed, it says Malkanji on it. But really, I am not a Malkanji, nor do I consider myself Malkanji. I am born into the family of God. I am engrafted into Christ. I am one with Christ. I am a member of his body, a member of his bones, a member of his flesh. The Bible says, by these great and magnificent promises, we have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world, the corruption of our past. I'm a new creation. I'm not what I used to be. I'm born again. I'm born from above, and I'm born above the curse. I'm born above all. Hallelujah. I'm not subject to my father's dealings. I'm not subject to my great-great-great-grandfather's dealings. I am a child of God. I'm a son of the living God. God's not judging me based on what others have done around me. God said, I will judge you according to your works, according to the works of thine hands. I'm a new creation. And God's not going to make a new creation that's cursed. God will not make a, new, a cursed new creation. The moment you become a new creation, the old has passed away. So why identify with the curse? And that's the problem I have with the generational curse teaching, is that it gets people to identify with the curse. I feel like I'm cursed. I feel like I'm, I feel like I carry this. There's no knowledge of the scripture. There's no understanding. We're going to get into you know, what the Bible says about you, but there's no understanding of it. It's all just identification with the curse rather than identification with the Christ. Identification with the curse rather than identification with the Christ. I am not identifying with the curse. Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law. I'm a new creation and now I'm in Christ Jesus and I identify with Christ. I'm blessed. I'm a new species of being. Number three, you're adopted into the family of God. When you get saved, you're adopted into the family of God and God's family is blessed. Roman laws of adoption. Romans chapter 8. Paul's talking to the Romans who understand adoption because they're the ones that wrote the laws that we today still use in our own adoption laws in America and in Canada. Listen to this. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Doesn't talk about being adopted into a family where we become heirs of curses. Remember, whatever was passed down from great-great-grandfather to great-grandfather to grandfather to father, and then you saw it in your life, even if that's the case, when you come to Christ, you don't become an heir of your earthly lineage. You become an heir of your heavenly lineage, an heir of God. Hallelujah. And I've been adopted into the family of God. Now listen to this. Roman laws of adoption state that the boy or the girl that is adopted one, from one family to the other, whatever debt, lawsuit, or issues the family, the family you come from had prior to your adoption, Whatever debt that family may have had. You may have come from a family that had $10 billion of debt. 
The moment you get adopted out of that family, that debt is no longer connected to you. It's no longer attached to you. When you come into a new family, it's the resources, the power, the name, the dignity of the family that you come into that you're now associated and connected with. But the family you came from, you have disassociated from not only the name, the family name, but the debt, the power, and the presence of it all has no more hold on you. Legally, there's no more legal hold. We were under, the Bible says, Jesus said it, and even John the Apostle said it in 1 John 3. He said, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are made manifest. That shows you that there are children of God and there are children of the devil. You're either part of God's family or you're part of the devil's family. There's no neutral family. When you are part of the devil's family, then you have to suffer his reign of terror. Then you have to be subject to his curse. You have to be subject to his laws of sin and death. But when you were adopted into God's family, we forfeited our satanic association the devil lost his legal hold and legal claim on our life and we've now come into a new family the family of God the family of Abraham and we are now heirs of God heirs of who God is heirs of who God of what God carries I'm an heir of health I'm an heir of strength I'm an heir of life I'm an heir of joy I'm an heir of peace and I have forfeited everything that used to have a hold on me before so I'm adopted the lawyers can't come back into my house and condemn me for the actions of my father's business. He ain't my father anymore. Hallelujah. Number four, what happens at salvation? You are translated out of darkness into light. You belong to a new kingdom. You're a citizen of heaven and no longer subject to the devil's judicial system. Satan no longer has any legal claims over you as a born-again child of God, contrary to what generational curse teaching states. That there's still a legal claim. Because you haven't repented of someone in the third generation passed down that did something that's been weaseling its way through the line up into your life. And though you've come to Christ and though you've repented of sin and though you've never even committed that specific sin, that thing still dwells and remains in you. And that's why you're suffering frustration and stagnation and that's why you're suffering failure and constant setback. Rubbish. Satan no longer has any legal claims over me. I'm no longer under his judicial system. I'm part of a new kingdom i'm part of a new family and uh and god is my judge now hallelujah number five what happens at salvation you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places this is a big one ephesians chapter one listen to this ephesians chapter one ephesians chapter one verse three Blessed be the God and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Blessed be the Lord God of our Father Jesus Christ, of uh, Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that say? Well, it tells me, one, I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm positioned in Christ. Redemption has repositioned me to be in Christ. And then two, I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. It doesn't say, blessed be the Lord God of our Father, uh, Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, who has blessed us with some spiritual blessing, but there remains some generational cursing that must be dealt with even after. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. The moment you get saved, you become blessed. 
You become blessed. Now, whether you choose to believe you're blessed or not, that's another thing. And there's many people that believe they're cursed, and that's why the curse begins to manifest. Because you will have what you say, and as your faith is, so be it unto you. If you believe you're generationally cursed, you will carry a generational curse. But if you believe you're blessed, you'll see that the blessing will overwhelm the cursing, and you'll start to see that manifest in your life. The devil has no power to curse you. The devil can only deceive you into thinking that you are cursed. And the moment you buy that lie, then the devil can take a step back and the cur as your faith is, so be it unto you. When God went out, when Balaam went out to curse the children of Israel, remember what happened. He opened his mouth to curse and he began to bless them. And then Balak got mad. I've hired you these three times to curse my enemies, and yet you've blessed them. He said, I told you, I cannot curse whom God has blessed. I cannot renounce whom the Lord has not renounced. And it says, God has not witnessed any sin in Israel, and so they cannot be cursed. Do you understand? I said it before. You've received the white stone of innocence from heaven. There's no sin in you. Now, people always quote, what do you mean there's no sin in me? The Bible says very clearly, if we say we have no sin, we are liars. And the truth is not in us. You're taking that portion of scripture out of context. First John 1, what John is saying is, if you, if you have made a mistake and you don't confess that mistake, even after coming to Christ, the truth is not in you. He's saying when you do mess up, confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who's the propitiation of our sin. He's saying if you have made a mistake, if you have sinned, we don't have to soak in sorrow and condemnation. We can come to Christ in repentance and faith again and he'll clear you out. But just because I made a mistake does not mean I am a mistake. Just because I may have sinned does not mean I'm still a sinner. I am not a sinner. I am saved by grace. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus by the power of the cleansing tide of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so because I have that white stone of innocence, because I'm clothed with a white robe of righteousness, I'm uncursable. Why can I not believe in a generational curse? Well, because mainly I can't be cursed. So don't tell me I can be cursed. Don't tell me you have a generational curse. I can't. Imagine telling somebody who's born again in the image of God saying you have a curse on your life. You're not reading my Bible because my Bible don't say that. So let's get to what really is the issue. Because I'm not saying there's Christians that are sick. There's Christians that, are, that have failed. There's Christians that have stagnated. There's Christians that are hitting a wall and don't know how to get through. So what's the issue? Let me get to that right now. Behavioral problems are the issue and not a curse. Many people are not struggling with a demonic power, nor is it a generational curse. They're simply victims of growing up in a negative behavioral environment. Learned behavior is the number one proponent for vicious cycles of defeat, struggle, and failure. If a son grows up in a home where alcohol is positively, is seen in a positive light, that individual is far more prone to adopt alcohol into his own home and as such susceptible to getting drunk. It's environment, behaviors, learned behaviors. Remember we read it. He'll visit the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So if your father was an idolater and you are an idolater, then yes, the curse will 
prevail. There's a real curse. Can't escape it. But people are blaming generational curses on everything instead of taking accountability for their own actions. It's not a generational curse of a spirit of fear. It's because you just watch horror movies all day. It's not a generational curse of obesity. It's because you have an uncontrolled diet and you're a glutton. It's not a generational curse of joblessness. It's because you're an undependable employee who's always coming in late and doesn't get your job done. I just feel like I have a generational curse. I can't hold a job. No, you can't hold a job because you're not responsible. It's behavioral problems that have passed down from older generations that set the pace. That, that's why Paul says we are to renew our mind, not be conformed to the patterns of our past and of this world, but to renew our mind through the washing of the water of the word of God so we can develop new belief which will develop new behavior in our lives. Behavioral problems that have passed down from past generations cannot be cast out. Neither is there prayers that can break those generational behaviors. They must be dealt with head on through the renewing of our minds by the word of God. This whole process is called, and I'm sorry if I'm going to offend someone. I'm sorry if this is a bad word, but it's called discipleship. Discipleship, the infamous, infamous word in the church that seducing spirits and doctrines of demons in these last days love to avoid because it doesn't tickle the ears of many people. Discipleship and sanctification, a lifelong process. Fallen man is always looking for a quick fix scheme. Get rich quick. Get fixed quick. McDonald's drive through religion. Everything's quick fix. Oh, I have this problem. Must be a generational curse. Let me go buy that book. Let me go to the men of God's meeting and he'll break that generational curse off my life. Meanwhile, you haven't changed your behavior. And so what ends up happening, and my mentor evangelist, Tiff Shuttlesworth said this. A drive-by exorcism of our character flaws will leave us sorely disappointed when we awake the next morning to find our flaws are still with us. People are trying to get a drive-by exorcism of generational curses and demons when in actual fact these problems are rooted in behavioral flaws and the flesh that rises up that we haven't subdued and we haven't crucified. You know, the Bible doesn't talk about generational curses in the New Testament, but you know what it does talk about? Crucifixion of the flesh. And oftentimes these people are left sorely disappointed when they awake the next morning and their flaws are still there. They have momentary, temporary freedom, but the freedom doesn't last. You ever eat fast food? You're full for about 10 minutes and then the hunger kicks back in. It's empty carbs and no nutrition. Generational curse doctrine leaves people the same way. 
jumping from conference to conference, buying book after book, trying to discover another unidentified sin of the ancestry that must be dealt with so that the individual can finally obtain a temporary relief of some sort of false freedom. But the Bible and Jesus made it very clear that when Jesus sets a person free by virtue of those coming to believe the gospel message, which Paul said, I'm not ashamed of that gospel message in it, in it, not in through a deliverance session, not in through a generational cursed training session. In the gospel alone is the power of God unto salvation, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Anything labeled freedom that is outside of the cross will only give a temporary false sense of freedom, but only the gospel, the true, untampered with gospel, can bring that full 100% liberty. Behavioral problems that must be crucified. You know, Jesus talked about picking up your cross daily. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Talks about in Galatians 5 that we are to crucify. Those who belong to Christ have crucified their flesh along with their passions at the cross. The Bible says we are to mortify the members of our body fornication, adultery, idolatry, envy, anger. We're to mortify these things. People are blaming things on generational curses when in actual fact, it's a cycle of negative, sinful behavior that is generating the windstorm. The gen it's generating the windstorm. So I wanted to bring this scriptural Notice how we started in the Bible, we stayed in the Bible, and we finished in the Bible. Oftentimes you'll see a lot of things that are going out and circulating YouTube and all that. A lot of them have no biblical basis, no biblical foundation. It's all just experience-based. Experience is at the... It may not be at the mercy of an argument, but experience is at the mercy of doctrine from the Bible. Let me tell you. I will never... You know what happens when people say... That experience is not at the mercy of your argument when you bring up the Bible to them. You know what they're saying? This is God's word. Here's my experience. They're actually saying, I am that I am. Wow. They're saying, I am that I am. God is the I am. He's not only the I am, but he's the I said. Hallelujah. And what he says goes. And I'm going to subject myself to the living and active, quickened word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword that will continue to be preached a thousand years from now if Jesus should tarry. Opinions falter. Opinions fade away. Opinions and people's experiences do not stand the test of time, but you know what does? Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in the heavens. Settled in the heavens. So I felt to address this issue today because people that are blessed, people that are heirs, like we read, heirs of God, heirs and joint heirs of Christ and His blessing, because of this false notion that they've bought on of them being cursed because of the sins and lawless deeds of a father or a grandfather or a fourth generation individual in their family, that they have to suffer, endure this curse until they go through some sort of procedure separate from 
receiving Christ at salvation, that unless they do that, they won't be free. That has kept more people in bondage than anything else. And I repeat, and I'll finish with this scripture in Galatians 5, when I repeat what Paul said, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Don't subject yourself again to a Jesus plus bondage doctrine. Don't subject yourself again to a yoke of bondage. So all that to say, do I believe that there is a curse? Yes, there is a curse. Do I believe that that curse can go down generationally as long as behavior remains the same and sin is not snuffed out of that family and out of you as an individual? Yeah. Do I believe that after you come to Christ that there's some separate seance that you must go through in order to break something off your life that came on your family tree as a result of an individual three generations before you, his actions, and that the blood of Jesus was not sufficient to, to deal with that the, simply the moment you got saved, but that there's some sort of extra biblical thing you must engage with. No. No, I don't believe that. Christ has redeemed us from all the curse of the law, having been made a curse for me. Jesus carried, and whatever... Whatever uh, is in your life that it seems like there's a, a void of blessing and a presence of cursing and you're discouraged right now, let me encourage you by saying what the Bible says. I mean, I, I've never understood why, like you tell people that they're not generationally cursed and they get mad at it. But then I tell them that if there is the presence of, of, of some unfavorable thing that came as a result of maybe your negative behavior or whatever, and you're, you're, you've repented of that sin and you've turned to Christ, but the presence, the smell of that thing is still there. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. I mean, it's the best news you could ever get. Can't get better news than that. You don't have to go through seven steps. You just have to believe. I'm redeemed from the curse, but I'm redeemed to the blessing. Hallelujah. God didn't just call Israel out of the house of bondage. He brought them into, into the promised land. I'm not just redeemed from the curse. I'm redeemed to the blessing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're here right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to do that right now. As I said before, the curse will continue on until you come to Christ. Until a man comes to Christ, you're not free from the curse of original sin. Maybe you were saved at one point, but you've fallen back into the miry clay. You've, you've gone back to your old ways. You've adopted old sinful behaviors again, and you've fallen backslidden from that place of right standing with God through perpetual sin, habitual sin. I'm not saying you made a mistake yesterday and now you feel like you lost your salvation. I'm talking about habitual sin, engaging in a lifestyle of sin. If that's you today, you once had the fire of God and you once had a zeal for the things of God, but now that zeal is snuffed out and you've gone back to your old ways, but today... You're looking to come back to the Savior and come back into right standing with God and say, Jesus, I need you to wash my sins away. I'm rededicating my life to you. I, I, I'm through living this way. I'm coming off the broad way leading unto destruction and I'm coming on to the narrow way that leads to life. If that's you and you want to pray this prayer with me, you need to pray this prayer with me. Say this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. I renounce darkness. I renounce Satan. I repent of sin. 
and I receive Christ, I am saved. I am healed. I am whole. Fill me with your power. Give me grace to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca, and click the link, I just got saved. Click that link, fill out the information on that page. I want to get something to you free of charge as a way of saying welcome to the family of God. I look forward to hearing from you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.